Welcome to Daybreak Devotions, a podcast version of the daily radio ministry of the McLeansville Baptist Church with your host, Pastors Mike Barnett and Corey Cantrell. It's Wednesday from McLeansville Baptist Church. Good morning and welcome back to Daybreak Devotions. I am Pastor Mike Barnett. You are Pastor Corey Cantrell. And dear listener, you know who you are. <laughs> Thank you for listening today as we continue through our Week After Easter special editions. Today we're going to begin sharing a message with you from Luke chapter 24 entitled The New Temple of Our Risen Lord. And it'll come out of the toward the very end of Luke chapter 24. We trust it'll be a blessing to you. I think it'll go today and tomorrow on the broadcast. So we hope you'll be with us both days. Brother Pat and I had a brief encounter before service started over the fact that there seemed to be so few songs about the resurrection. And if you stop and think about that, it's true. Don't do it now, but if you were to flip in the back of your hymn book, you'll find that the part about resurrection is awfully small compared to the birth of Christ and the cross of Christ. And, and I wonder why that is because I made this statement sometime in the last week when you read your Bible... The early church was fixed on the resurrection. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. They understood the importance of the cross, but they were fixated on the resurrection. And why is that? Well, the, the reason we have so many songs about the cross, I don't know, it's kind of like a which came first, the chicken or the egg thing. I don't know if it's, uh, if it's the gospel of the forgiveness of sins took over first, so the singing became about the cross or whether the singing became about the cross and that's how we developed the gospel of the forgiveness of sins I don't know but when your gospel is just about the forgiveness of sins you will just sing about the cross that that's enough because resurrection is about new life and see it it's more as we've been learning it's more than a gospel of the forgiveness of sins it's a gospel of life in Jesus you see, resurrection is Philippians 3.10 stuff. Paul said, I count everything but loss that I might have the power of his resurrection on my life. I'm crucified with Christ, he said. Nevertheless, I live. Most people in the modern church would just say, yeah, I'm crucified with Christ. Thank God one day I'll live. One day I'll live. No, I live now. Why? Because he lives. That's the power of the resurrection. And so I hope we can kind of push against some of that today with the message this morning. I'd like to preach this morning and bring a message on the new temple of the risen Lord. The new temple of the risen Lord. I want to give it to you right up front so you'll know what I'm talking about. The new temple of the risen Lord. I want you to look in Luke chapter 24, and I'll go there in just a moment. Like many of you, I'm sure I spent part of my morning prayer time reading through the resurrection accounts of the Gospels and as much as we cannot imagine the pain and the darkness of the crucifixion and, and its effect on the disciples, I, I think neither can we fully grasp what they must have experienced when they saw the risen Jesus. But we will. We will. You know, the choir sung about it a little bit ago. That song said, I, I've just seen Jesus and I'll never be the same again. Now, that's that resurrection power. And, and that's what it's about. It's about seeing the risen Lord. There's been some confusion over the morning's events when you get here, right? A lot of confusion. If you, you've been reading the passage, you know, what's going on? What's happened? 
You know, they come early to the tomb and the stone's been rolled away and his body's gone and there's some confusion. Uh, there's been confusion among uh, the, the, the Romans. There'll be confusion among the Jewish religious leaders. Confusion among the disciples. There have been, think about all that's happened, there's been angelic appearances which they're still trying to piece together. What are they talking about? There, there's been, more importantly, Jesus appearances. And those have really stirred things up. You know, the first one he appeared to was Mary Magdalene. I don't know all the reasons why. I don't have all the answers, but what an honor to be the first one to see the risen Lord. She was confused at first, but you know that visit with Mary turned into a time of rejoicing right there in the garden, <laughs> right there by the tomb. Well, I tell you what, the garden's been a special place, hasn't it? It all, ha it all came down, crashing down in a garden a long time ago, but boy, here a little bit closer to our day, it got all put back together in a garden. And Jesus was buried in a tomb in a garden, but that morning there was rejoicing uh, by that empty tomb in the garden. Here in a little while, he meets with those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they're a little confused too. But that was a, a, an encounter of reminding. And when they met him, he reminded them of all that the Bible had said and reminded them of all that it, all of it was necessary. It had to happen. And so what a great time. And then, of course, before he vanished, they, they discerned that it was him. There had been the encounter with Peter. Now, I know there's the encounter in, in, uh, in chapter 21 of John, but... There seems to have been some other encounter. I, I, I don't know when it happens, but it's referred to by Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 15, and it's referred to in uh, one of the gospel accounts here on the, on the resurrection that he'd appeared to Cephas. I think it's Mark 16 that says it. And I know this. I know that whenever that, that, that encounter happened, whenever Peter first saw him, I, I, I speculate and use my imagination a little bit, it could be that it wasn't an a, a, a exchange of words encounter. You remember the last time Peter had seen Jesus, it was a look. It was out and Peter had been by the fire and he denied the Lord three times and the, Jesus looked at him and Peter saw Jesus and he went out and wept bitterly. And I just wonder if somewhere that morning Peter had had an encounter where he saw the Lord and, and uh, maybe even like those disciples on the road to Emmaus didn't understand it at first. When he first saw him, something looked familiar, but it wasn't clear and as he walked away, it dawned on him. Was that him? I'll tell you this, for Mary it was an encounter of rejoicing, and for those Emmaus disciples it was an encounter of reminding, but for Peter it was an encounter of restoration. He was restoring Peter from that place that he had failed to, and thank God for his mercy and grace. I think about the eleven. They're in the upper room, and later he appears to them. Just, I mean, they're sitting there, they're all talking about it. The, the, the women have come back and said, we saw him. Peter's probably said something, or maybe he's holding back, I don't know, but he's thinking about all this. Then these two disciples from Emmaus come running in, and they say, hey, we just saw the Lord. And they're all trying to figure out, I, I just don't know about this. I mean, yeah, I know we saw some angels, Peter and John, you know, and, and about that time Jesus appears in the room. And he says, peace, peace be unto you, fellas. Calm down, everybody. It's all right. I told you from the beginning this was going to be okay. I mean, that's my interpretation of that. Peace be unto you. But that encounter was an encounter of rebuking. The Bible says that he rebuked them because of their unbelief, because they had not believed the things that he'd said. And I don't believe he rebuked them in a harsh, mean way. I believe he just spoke truth that caused their hearts to melt and say, Oh, yes, Lord, we should have remembered what you said. And 
that word remember is prominent in this whole, whole thing because, you know, one of the problems that the people of God have always had is forgetting, haven't we? And uh, he uses that word a lot in Resurrection Day. But I want to call your attention now to the end of Luke chapter 24. Because the resurrection having happened, the final thing that Jesus gives the disciples and us is the Great Commission. But I want to see something in this today. In Luke 24, we'll begin reading verse 45. And uh, Luke 20, 24, not 23. I'll get with you where you guys are. There we are. Then opened he their understanding. Now this is in the upper room with the disciples. That they might understand the scriptures. And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. That would be the Spirit of God. We're going to talk about that promise in a moment. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. What a moment that must have been. I'd like to stay and just meditate on that one a little bit. Like just to, just to think back over three years of time. All they'd seen. All they'd experienced. Words that flooded their soul. You know it did because they copied them down for us. And in that moment of some confusion, some uncertainty, but faith and trusting Him, knowing that our Lord is risen and He's about to leave, we don't understand it all, but He reaches out His hands and He blesses them. What a moment that must have been. And it came to pass, while He blessed them, He was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Well, they saw some things other people have never seen. But one day we will. And they worshipped Him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And verse 53 is of interest this morning. And we're continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. I tell you, something happened to those fellas and those ladies that day. I mean, it, that, I mean they had been being changed. But oh, I tell you, resurrection changes everything. Knowing Jesus lives changes everything. And more importantly, knowing the Jesus that lives changes everything. I want to focus on verse 53 for just a few moments. And I could begin to preach here on the subject of being faithful to attend church. I could preach on serving in the church and not missing church uh, if you're a disciple. And I'd be right in preaching that. I believe you could get that out of this. Our faithful participation in the church is vital to our own Christian growth and to the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And we could make that case from this text, this passage, and I will mention all of that again, but that is not the message of the hour. We know the disciples did depart from this day, this experience, and we know they were faithful to worship daily in the temple because Acts chapter 2 tells us in verse 46 and 47, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And right in the middle of that, you cannot deny that the practice of coming together at the appointed times of worship is vital to our Christian life. It is vital to the Great Commission. And when the world sees the church united and the world sees the church loving Jesus, then sinners will be converted and they will come to Christ. 
Why are there no great movements of be, people being born again in our day? Why is everybody getting born again, getting born again out of the church pews? It makes you think, doesn't it? The world doesn't see what I think they were seeing that day. Oh, but see, he lives. So we can have that. We can have that kind of resurrection life in our life when you go out on the job and you're out at the grocery store and you're doing all those day-to-day things. People ought to see something of your love for Jesus that would compel them to come and say, tell us about this truth that you have in your heart. Peter and John would encounter a lame man outside the gate of the temple in Acts 5 because they were on their way to the hour of prayer. But there's another application that I want to bring to you this morning. One tied directly to the resurrection of Jesus. One which is even greater and more uh, heart uplifting. And it is this. The reason that they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God from that time on is because from that day on they began to understand that they now were the temple of God. Friends, something changed on this occasion. They not only, or they no longer had to just go to the temple, but it was dawning upon them that a promise that had been foretold for centuries had now come to pass that they themselves had become the temple of God. And my friends, this is an exciting and convicting and energizing and demanding and wonderful and worshipful truth. You see, long had God promised that there would come a day when He would no longer be above His people, no longer be around His people, but He would be in His people. And Ezekiel had captured this, Ezekiel chapter 36. Listen to these verses, verse 26 and 27. A new heart also will I I give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart of your flesh and I will give you an heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them You see, for all these many years and all these many centuries, they had gone to the temple to pray. They'd gone to the temple to make offerings and sacrifices and get blessings. And they'd gone to the temple to fulfill all their obligations. But now, something has changed. Something is new. You see, that veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. When Jesus died on the cross, an old church, a new hour had come into the world. Hebrews chapter 10, listen to these verses, verse 19 through 22. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, that's Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, we have become the ones who can enter into the holiest place anytime, anywhere, in any place. This had been promised and foretold and hoped for for thousands of years. From the first days of building the tabernacle in the wilderness with Moses all the way to Solomon's temple. Through it all there had been a promise and there was a hope that one day God would no longer have to be found in a certain place and at a certain time. Do you remember when Jesus had that encounter with the Samaritan woman? Let's pick up it in chapter 4 of John verse 20. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, she said. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, 
The hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. You see, church... Jesus had made this declaration. John chapter 2, verse 18 and 22. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Do you know what Jesus had done? He just ran them out of the temple. He just proclaimed that a new sheriff was in town. And they said, Who gives you the authority? What, what, go show us a sign. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. And when therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the Scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now, friends, listen, Jesus died bodily, and he rose bodily. But he now has another body to go with that body. You see, Ephesians 5.30, Paul says, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 4 and 5, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. And in those last days before the cross, Jesus, if you remember, had spent a lot of time in and around the temple. That's no coincidence. Every day he went into Jerusalem, he made a beeline to the temple. And when he was in the temple in all those days, you remember he cleansed the temple? You remember he was teaching daily in the temple? You remember he was confronted by the Pharisees and the leaders in the temple? And in Matthew 21, he gave them this parable, which I mentioned during the Jubilee meeting. And it captured my attention and still holds my attention. He said to them in Matthew 21, verse 42 and verse 44, He said, Did ye never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. That is the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it shall grind him to powder. And I want you to know that Jesus was telling them a new day has come. This temple's about to come down. But I'm going to be laid as the chief cornerstone of the new temple. And if you don't build on me, friends, you're going nowhere. If you don't build on me, you have no hope. You don't have any life. Jesus said, I will be the cornerstone of the new temple. He'd been in the temple watching the widow give her two mites. And when they had come out, the disciples were in all of the temple's magnificence. And in Luke 21, verse 5 and 6, some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with godly stones and gifts. He said, as for these things which ye behold, Jesus said, the days will come in which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Oh, you see, they, their whole life they'd been in all that temple. I mean, many of them, they only got to maybe go to Jerusalem maybe once in a lifetime. Some may never have made it. I'm talking about Jewish people scattered all over the place. 
The, the temple was special in that special city known as Jerusalem. And they're standing there looking at it saying, oh, look at what we've got. Uh, look at what God has given us. Uh, I mean, they were impressed with all that outward religion. Uh, they were impressed with all those formalities. They were impressed with all those systems of rules uh, and regulations. Uh, they were impressed with their religion uh, and how devout it made them feel. Uh, but Jesus said, I'm giving you a heads up, boys. Uh, it's all coming down. Uh, I'm bringing down the house. Uh, it's going to be a new world. And friends, it was when Jesus rose from the grave. There's a new temple. Clearly, this had been a regular point of emphasis for Jesus. Because even when he was on the cross, they threw it back in his face. Matthew 27, verse 39 and 40. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Oh, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days. How about just save yourself? Can you do that? Show us what you can do, oh, great one that's going to bring the temple down and build it back in three days. And they said, if thou be the Son of God, come down off the cross. They mocked him for saying it. He had not made it a secret. They just didn't understand. It's been a true sore spot for them the whole time. It was a threat to their religion. And we who believe have been now made part of this new temple. And the wonderful doctrine of the holy indwelling of God is always a threat to religion. And that's where we will break away for today. I want to encourage you to make sure that you tune in tomorrow. You don't want to miss the back half of this message. The truth that is contained in the fact that we are presently, right now, the temple of the risen Lord. We are more than just sojourners, wanderers, waiting to get home, uh, just kind of wandering aimlessly. We are bought with a price. We are a peculiar people. We have been sanctified by the blood of Jesus for a particular purpose. Friends, may we not lose the truth of those statements. So again, Tune in the same time tomorrow, and we'll pick up the second half of this great message. Friends, have a blessed and a wonderful remainder of your day, and we look forward to seeing you next time. And we thank you for joining us on today's program. We hope that you'll tune in with us each and every day right here on Daybreak Devotions as Pastor Mike and I will discuss various topics in God's Word. If you've got any questions, comments, we would love to hear from you at daybreakdevotion at gmail.com.